Welcome back to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzarite Financial Services and Anderson, Augustino, and Keller. Pete Sampson, Tim Priester, Tim O'Malley, and we left uh, Notre Dame Media Day, where we had the gem of not only a few players, but assistant coaches, which we haven't talked to since August Media Day. And man, is it a little bit more informative than uh, talking to the same four guys all the time. I was downright giddy leaving there the other day. I mean, we really got a lot of stuff, and as I mentioned in our incident analysis, Afterward, we've got a whole bunch of, I think, really good stuff to share with folks in the next couple of weeks uh, leading up to the December 29th Cotton Bowl game. Um, Pete, what were some of your highlights from, from the other day? Um, I mean, there are a couple of stories that I want to write for the, the bowl week itself. One, just sort of how the defensive line has gone from very good to great, because uh, I, I think it's a, a really important development, uh, not only just the course of like how why Notre Dame is where they are, but like when you sort of measure that against Clemson, um, you know, there's a, a really good story there. I want to do a profile on Ian Book, um, so I got into that. And then, like, a, probably everyone, if you're in Brian Kelly's presser, the questions that I asked him were all Chip Long based about why he's a good play caller. And, and that's, I don't really have a great answer for it yet. I'm still re- reporting the story, but um, that's, that's something I want to write for the Cotton Bowl as well, because I just think that he's, He's had such a good year, and I asked, um, you know, Clark Lee was uh, insightful on that because I, I asked him just basically, you know, he goes against him in practice every day, but he also has sort of the vantage points of watching things develop from the press box, and I didn't lead him in this direction, but he started talking about the the Alizé Mack touchdown against Stanford, and he's, you know, at that point the game was in hand. Um, he could sort of watch the offense a little bit more, and he says, like, you see that play start, and as a defensive guy, your your guts sort of like churn a little bit because you know how bad that feels as you see it happening, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm excited because I'm I'm at Notre Dame." Um, <laughs> but uh, it just like he said that Chip Long is very much one step ahead of you uh, at all times, and I think that's um, that's you know we spend a lot of time on sort of the, the big plays, but. Uh, like Tommy Reese and maybe Dexter Williams talked about this too, just about how he's he knows when to be patient, he knows when to stick with something, and that's something we've talked about on this podcast yeah. a lot about how people shouldn't get freaked out about two yard gains, um, but then he knows when to take shots, he knows how to make adjustments, and I, I think he's just sort of he's had a really really good year. I thought B, uh, I, I thought Coach Kelly had a couple insightful things there to say when you did ask him about that. One was that. He's seen play callers affected by crowds, which yeah, I didn't. I thought that was an interesting comment, and that also, um, what do you say? Play calling is is more art than science. And I think it, he distinguished like if you're on the field, it's more art. If you're right. in the box, mm-hmm. it's more science. Right, right, exactly. You know, I, what Kelly said that I and I would what I would have answered if Pete asked me why Chip Long was such a good play caller <laughs> is the is the patience. Honestly, I'm I, still I, reporting the story. Okay, so good. I'll so interview you, you, after you the can podcast. get to me. That's good at some point. But I, I really it's it struck me like, at some point last year. I was like, boy, he will just stick with it because he knows what he wants. That's because he believes in what he's doing. Yeah, he doesn't just say. It's not like you have to be pig-headed and keep running at Christian Wilkins, but you do have to understand if if we felt for a month we Chip Long being the offensive coordinator, if we felt for a month we could get this done, or a week we can get this done against a team, we are going to get this done, or some version of it where I'm going to get us something off of this of these plays. And that's why Brian Kelly kind of mentioned 0-0-50, Dexter Williams, because he knows it's, if he yeah. thinks it's going to break, yeah. you got to set it up. And I, it's that is something where I feel like 
offensive coordinators abandon things that don't work. Yeah, we were in a Pete and I were in a conversation with Long about you know patience and and, and those kind of things, and and, and uh, I think we were talking about body language of players, and um, I think there's a body language to way to the way Chip Long calls his plays, not Chip Kelly, as I referred to him the other day. <laughs> yeah. a, he, it, he has the same though; he's a good play caller. <laughs> yes, he is a good play caller. It's a it's it's really, frankly, and you guys have known me a long time. It's amazing that I don't make that mistake agree. more often <laughs> because of, because of Chip Long and Brian yeah. Kelly being being uh, yeah. together, but. Um, uh, just the patience, and and I thought, I mean, I really thought that the USC game was the ultimate example of both coordinators showing patience. While Notre Dame, while millions of Notre Dame fans all over the country, and maybe a couple sports writers too that had a rooting interest, are were uptight throughout that whole game. They showed the patience that you know that you needed to to withstand the situation you were in at USC. Uh, Clark Lee's patience was remarkable to me because. As Chip Long, I'm always on the side of the offensive coordinator that's patient, and I'm looking at Notre Dame's defense and just thinking, they are just gambling that USC is going to revert to its real self and make mistakes. What if they don't? But you know what? They did. <laughs> but no. when you're watching these but athletes, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, they, they, they might not make these mistakes. They did, though. I, I mean, it worked so, out. <laughs> penalties and turnovers. I, I'm not sure that you can do a whole lot, though, defensively, unless you just you're completely press coverage, which we've talked about. That's not... Really, Notre right. Dame's mo yeah. per se. I mean, certainly Julian Love's capable of it, but that's not what they do. I had a, um, I had a conversation with uh, with Mike Elson about the defensive linemen, and he broke down. I mean, the three the defensive ends, I, I yep. should say, and he broke down Julian O'Quara, Khalid Kareem, and Dalen Hayes in particular. Those were the ones that that I asked about. And um, if people go back a couple of days, you can find this story if you didn't see it, but. I want to read to you a comment that he made about Khalid Kareem, which I was like, really? And I, and I think maybe you guys will, you haven't heard it yet, so I think you might have a similar reaction to it. But, well, first of all, he said Khalid Kareem is so instinctive and quick off the ball, plays with great pad level, great blend of speed and power. His level pass rushes to the quarterbacks are as good as it gives, ability to get on the edge and force quarterback to step up uh, to everybody is awesome. He's super smart and very instinctive. None of that's surprising to us. He also said this. He's a great communicator, always helping young guys, always coaching, shouting out to guys on the field, whether it's Kofi Wardlow, Ade, or Jameer Jones. He's not worried about losing reps by developing guys behind him. He is all in coaching and teaching and helping young guys. Did you know that that was Khalid Kareem? No, I mean, we don't watch practices, but you know, his personality seems a lot more reserved than that, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. when, it's, I mean that I, says a lot about a kid like that. I would yeah, think, I think that would be Jonathan Barr. Well, he spoke you know, the, very highly yeah, John the right, Bonner, But too, I'm saying that, yeah, that's yeah. the only guy I would immediately yeah. think that's the guy that goes out and does yeah. that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Khaled is, he comes across as a little bit more reserved. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess it doesn't surprise me, but I wouldn't I wouldn't just assume that had happened. You know, that's something that happens as yeah. a senior, not as a right. junior right. necessarily. Right, and that's, I, I, I guess the big picture point for me is if you wonder why these guys are as good. And, you know, and you talked about Julian O'Quarr and the speed and athleticism. He said not to get too technical. But the fluidity in the midsection of a defensive end is really the key to being a great pass rusher. He has the ability to throw a club that you break down protection with, release his hips. By releasing his hips, his hips and toes are going to the target, and the target's quarterback. You know what I think that means for all the laymen, all of us? 
that dude looks like he can rush the passer. <laughs> and that's what I, when you look at Julian Acquire come off the edge, like that, it just looks much different than everybody yep. else coming off yep. the edge. And that's what that's And stuff he's is. saying it's hips and mid, yeah. it's midsection and hips in that order. I will say one thing of Khalid Kareem. He seems like a very unselfish football player because the nickel package is basically him taking up multiple guys blocking him. So Julian Acquire and Jerry yeah. Tillery break free at some point. It's, I mean, Khalid Kareem could just be a guy set on the edge, told to go with the quarterback too. He's yeah, in the nickel, you know. It's, he does that on first and second he down. He does that on first and second down, yeah. But he, I think he's an unselfish player. So that in that way, while I'm still surprised, that makes sense that yeah. he's a – that's why they're so successful, those four guys. It uh, really is. And then, you know, Tillery, I, I, I have a tendency, I guess, at times not to give Tillery enough credit. But he is absolutely somebody you have to count, account for on every snap. Mm-hmm. He's quick off the snap. When he hasn't been productive, it hasn't be, been because of lack of effort. He is applying pressure to the middle of the defensive front. And he's been good, uh, Tim. Your your story the other day on, um, I guess he would, Brian Kelly was asked about what. what well, he was asked about his like, legacy, and he didn't want to talk about his legacy because that's not what he well, was, was looking a, to go. That was you know. a terrible. Yeah, question. Well, so then it was later on. It became <laughs> later on. It just became you know how how has college football changed? How have you changed? And, and so he got into adapting. And I thought, first of all, it was separately. I'm fascinated by the change of Brian Kelly since 2016 and, and everything he's done. I can't believe it. Yeah. Um, but I, I think he was kind of getting into, look, man, this this is a, a competitive profession. You have to adapt or die. It's one of those things it's from Moneyball. <laughs> you have to adapt or die. But then he kind of got into himself, like what I think was Matt Fortuna asked to follow up, how did you change? And he was frank about it. He's like, I had to change everything. I mean, Brian Kelly – when you talk to ex-players from 2013, 14, 15, and 16, and I'm specifically thinking of a couple I've talked to for the for a future story, they didn't know Brian Kelly. Yeah. They just didn't know Brian Kelly. Now, the interesting thing for me on this is, if you talk to the 2012 group, like Zach Martin, so I should probably believe that in the next year, they said the big change to Brian Kelly is we were, we were around him more this year. Do you remember that? In 2012, mm-hmm. Zach Martin, Chris Watt. So at some point, even though that was his best year ever, he went away from it. Yeah. Well, he's back at it. He's never going away from that anymore. Um, being around the team, he said how important it is just be around the team. Be, and be present able, to be present. Be present. Term that he's. Be able to have a conversation with them. You know, it, I thought it was really interesting because when we travel, you know, he's like, yeah, I would leave for a recruiting trip and I'd be gone for three days. It was probably because it was a little easier to travel like that, right? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you rather get in the night mm-hmm. before and leave the night after when you go mm-hmm. on a trip? Human nature, he's getting in and out and trying to be around the program. It's fascinating. Now, the don't bury your head in the sand title had more to do with coaches having to adapt to the world right. they're in, not now, it's great, his it's, life. It's great stuff. And the reason that I say I can't believe it is because as a former coach, I couldn't have t- – I tried. I couldn't change like that. He has changed, and not only has he changed, it feels genuine. And it, first of all, the players wouldn't acknowledge it if it didn't feel genuine right, to them. Right? Yeah, that's true. Especially behind the scenes, they're not going to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I just I thought I thought that's why I asked both of you guys the, the, your the various stories that you wrote because I, I I thought that was the best stuff to come out of there. Another thing I thought that was that came out out of it, and we mentioned it, Tim, on uh, uh, instant analysis about his comparison of the Clemson team, the running backs, compared to Georgia. Or the best yeah. running backs they faced since Georgia wide receivers he put on par with USC and D line he mentioned NC State and LSU but I think we again we I, 
Clemson's better, but, <laughs> but even better than that. But the point is, he just took some all-star units and stuck them on one team. Is <laughs> yeah. his point? It's not right. like he was saying, "Oh yeah, but you can get them elsewhere." He right. he took the best units they faced over the last two years and applied them to Clemson. Now he didn't talk O line, and as I mentioned on instant analysis, he didn't talk back seven. You know, I talked pretty heavily O line with the players, the defensive players. Yeah. Um, just kind of wanted to see how people felt about the guys they faced, and the, the feeling I got was. It wasn't, this is the best O-line, this is the worst O-line. It was, this is the one that played us best that day. And you won't be surprised. Tavon Coney, Drew Tranquil, Julian Love, Jerry Tillery, they're all like, well, not Jerry Tillery, but those first three, man, Pitt, Pitt just came to play. Pitt mm-hmm. came to block. Pitt was physical. They held like crazy. Got to give him, you know, they said, I got to give him credit. This was like, and these are linebackers. I didn't have any defense. Yeah. I asked Tillery, and he said, our offensive line's the best one I faced, and he didn't give me a real answer. Well, that's, but, got, that's Mike Elston's <laughs> line, by the way. So yeah, it was. That's uh, where that came from. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, Sam Mustafer gave good answers. Okay. He plays great defensive linemen all the time. But, you know, so I like to, when you say, when you draw all those lines, Will Clemson's offensive line be as physical and effective as the best one Notre Dame has played because this is one spot you have to hope Notre Dame can get to, to can defeat Clemson is Notre Dame's defensive line has to win because Notre Dame's off Notre Dame's defensive line has to win because Notre Dame's offensive line probably will not. Is that fair to say? Not consistently. Not they consistently. Won't know. Yeah. yeah. No, I, t- I totally agree with you on that, I, and I don't have an answer for it. Either. Well, yeah. so wh- how did they speak of Clemson's offensive line? More so that. They look good on film, technically sound. Um, I think they're a very cohesive unit. I will say yeah. that from watching them. I don't know that, that Hyatt is probably a standout, but he's they been all, a little banged up. They all mention Hyatt because he's the name to mention, I yeah. think. I think you almost get schooled as to who to say. Probably. Everybody immediately offered Travis Etienne, I mean, and that's true. But I think, I mean, Julian loves number one. The issue isn't Travis Etienne. You know, I think they automatically will all start with the guy that they're they're told to talk about. Probably, um, and he sticks out. I mean, or the ones that the the ones that they hear about yeah, the most. Yeah, um, but I mean, it's, just like Clemson's run game, we you know, obviously we're going to write a lot about Travis Etienne, and I think we probably all have already. But if you look at the national leaders in yards per carry, Clemson has three in the top fourteen. Yeah, they're first overall per carry. No, I'm just saying individual. Yeah, I know. I know. It's just cra- it's ridiculous. So I mean, it goes it goes way beyond the guy that has run for 1,400 yards and 21 touchdowns. He makes it go though, man. Yeah, <laughs> but but Feaster and Feaster and Feaster isn't one of those. No, great? he's not. He he's actually crazy. I, I don't. He must not have been getting a lot of carries early because I think he's four. I, I think he might be fourth in carries, but he's the guy they're emphasizing more now, and he he's he's really good too. Yeah. I, uh, Dixon's the, the the young kid. I don't know. He'll get a couple touches because he's the home run threat. So they'll see if they can if they mm-hmm. can break one with him. And then Choice is the other one, and he's a good back. He's going to be good too. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, they they really have a lot more than their lead back. Um, but yeah, I, I think that Notre Dame's defensive line they abs they they have to win that matchup. What is Notre they, Dame does not have a chance in the game if they if Notre Dame's defense. If we come out of the game and say like, ah, Notre Dame's defensive line they they just played okay and I. They have no shot. I also think that it's somewhat notable that in the games where Notre Dame's defensive line has had to play really well, they have risen to the occasion every time, Jerry Tillery uh, included in that group. This might lead us into the conversation that in this game, we're, we're talking about you know winner-take-all. I know there's a championship game after, but we're much less likely to see the substitution patterns that have occurred in the first quarter. Tim, I know you want to speak to that. Yeah, I, I can't imagine. I, now, going 10 deep, literally 10 deep this year, is why Notre Dame, it, the point was we're going to be fresh in November. Yeah. 
I'm not even sure they were all that fresh in the last game of the year. That defensive line looked a little shot to no, me. But no. had they not, at gone, least emotionally, yeah, they... had they not gone ten deep, I don't think it would have worked out as well in the end. And Mike Elston noted that. I spoke briefly with him. I don't think they need to go ten deep in this game. And I think he kind of acknowledged that reality. But he mentioned, you know, they found a niche. He didn't say the guys. That niche obviously was for Jameer Jones as a as a fifth defensive end. You would never think he would play at all, if not in a blowout, a fifth defensive end, and getting Micah Dutreadway on the field. I know it wasn't many snaps, but, I mean, look how many times you look up and you think, why is Micah Dutreadway out here in the first quarter for Jerry Tillery? That's what I don't think you'll see in this game. I don't see a reason that Jerry Tillery needs to be saved. He can't play every snap. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think just on that point, uh, MTA, we asked Mike Elston about that a little bit. I think he was probably more optimistic than Brian. Well, I don't want to say it was a a different, (laughs) it was more optimistic than we were. Uh, after talking to Brian Kelly, and I, I would I would put more credence in what Elston would have to say than the head coach, just because he's around MTA yeah. more. Um, Which is why we like talking to assistant yeah. coaches. I mean, <laughs> I, he felt like he was probably going to you know give him five to ten snaps, um, and if if those five ten snaps were ones that um, like a dude Treadway got, then I would think you're you're upgrading your ability there. But yeah. I I mean. I agree. It makes perfect sense that they would cut the rotation down um, against USC. I mean, I, th- I think it's worth remembering that there was only one. They played your top six, all had their usual work. I think maybe a little bit more. And then Ade Ugandeje had seventeen snaps. And then no one else had more than eight. So I would expect something very similar, but maybe the MTA takes five or six. Uh, Mike Dutreadway's five or six. And then you've got the other guys who are maybe three or four, like your Jason Adamalola's, Jameer Jones type. Yeah, I would li- <laughs> I would like to see MTA and Ad- Adamiola get all of the ones that Mike Dutreadway. If you pull up the touchdowns, to you'll find out the snaps that those guys played on. That's another problem. So. Mm, yeah. I mean, if you pull up the USC touchdown right up the middle of the field, yeah. you'll see the yeah. defensive tackles are. Yeah. Right. Like Jerry Chiller played 64 snaps against USC. He sat out the wrong eight. <laughs> I, th- I think he'll probably play 68 yeah. against Clemson. Um, you know, so it's you can adjust those guys up a little bit too, and I think that Jerry Tillery will probably be adjusted up. To your point about ATN, 176 carries, that's 30 more than Dexter Williams in four more games. Five, five more games. Yeah. Five more games. Yeah. Wow. So that that's not only him. Yeah, no, they got, they, got a, they got a fleet back there. There's no doubt about One that. One other point. Uh, you, Tim, I think you talked about it in um, the instant analysis about how much Clemson rotates at the receiver position. I'm I'm very interested to see how that goes. Um where it's not a lot of tight ends and throwing the yeah. backs. Like they, they just don't have, really throw they don't throw the tight they ends. They have a lot of receivers with a lot of catches. Yeah. Um Nick Coleman is the nickel seems to be something that Brian Kelly's on board with. It's not the first time he's been on board with it and then they change in flow. I think that they'll probably stick with it this time. One set going through this that really shocked me was that in Passes, pass attempts faced. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame ranks 125th nationally in yards per game, or um, you know, in attempts per game. Um, that's a. It's just going to be a. It's been a lot of work for that group, and for them to be as efficient as they are third nationally is really impressive to me. So it's it's a big. It will be a big night for big afternoon for Nick Coleman. Clemson's targets number five, six, seven, and eight. None of them are running backs. Either any of the first four because mm-hmm. Notre Dame and Clemson one through four. Their numbers are almost identical in mm-hmm. terms of receiving, in terms of receptions, yards. There's one outlier there with uh, with with touchdowns at number four. But Clemson's five, six, seven, and eight targets 
45 catches, 635 yards, and six scores. That's from all guys that are barely too deep. Yeah. Well, I, if you think that's remarkable. When you're yeah. scoring 45 a game, you know, and, and, and they've been in many situations where they can go, where they can freely substitute those people. They don't I would use expect, the backs as much in the passing no, game. No, they don't. Which and is they, nice don't to hear. they really, they don't, they don't, the tight ends block. I mean, yeah. the tight ends are H backs that block. Um, so, yeah, they have a, they have a fleet of those as well, and I, I would I would expect them to narrow that a little bit. Number one, Thompson. I, oh, I don't I think he's I going agree. to to get a whole bunch. It's that, what you can go to if you have to. Is what yeah. I'm saying. Notre no, Dame no, can no. go to Michael Young. Yeah, but I mean that's, that's it's going to be. I'm saying, that's yeah, big, it's uh, going to be it's going to be ne- very narrow for Notre Dame certainly in this game. They're well. there for Michael Young scored six touchdowns. That's how you look at it, right? Yeah, I mean that's yeah, right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, segment two, burning up the boards, coming up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The college football playoffs are here, and getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. By searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value, SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, Irish Illustrated listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code IRISH today. That's promo code I-R-I-S-H for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. Irish Illustrated listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code IRISH today. That's promo code I-R-I-S-H for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Our first question today comes from NDFB. I don't think this defense gets the recognition it deserves nationally. Where would you rank this Notre Dame defense going back to the Lou Holtz era? If it's not number one, they're in trouble on December 29th, is how I would say it. Statistically, you're never going to be better than 2012. I mean, they allowed nine rushing touchdowns. I mean, they've allowed, what, five passing touchdowns? I'm sorry, they allowed... Nine touchdowns when okay. I said rushing touchdowns. Yeah. 2012 right. allowed nine touchdowns going to that game, into the in, when they obviously allowed more in, in the yeah. Alabama game. But so statistically, you can't compare them. It's you can't compare the, the, statistically to today's game. The way they play, though, with the defensive line and quality corners and two All-American level linebackers when Tranquil's healthy, I really like this defense. Um, you know, you have to give credit. 2012, they had one bad game just on the national state. People, they're still paying for that one bad game is the problem with the program. Yeah. And then the 2002 was so fun to watch, but they had 12 players that could play. You know, 
They had 12 guys that could play. They had a backup well, defensive line Nordic, and 11 Nordic's starters. never played with the depth yeah. defensively that they have the last two years ever in the history of the program. So wherever you rate them, if they're not the best, they're in. <laughs> That's true. I mean, they did. Haven't they have like 150 scholarship players in the 40s? <laughs> They had depth in the 89. I can't deny that. I can't deny that. But I don't remember that yeah. right. That part. They had depth up defensively in like 89, 88, 89, 90. You look down there and all those guys are getting suspended after they transferred. Those dudes could play. But they weren't playing. <laughs> they weren't rotating. But no, they weren't rotating guys. them because well, then that's not depth. Well, then that's not depth if they well, weren't playing I'm them. just saying they had all Americans behind them I, that never got in. Future. But, future. Yeah, but yes, they weren't They yes. weren't playing. <laughs> Samson always loves it when I say that's the most yeah. ever. Ever is a, just ever is a long time. Um, yeah. It, the the comparison between twenty twelve is a hard one. I think that I think the best way that I can do it is like if you wrote down all eleven starters from both sides and you ranked who's better, starter one, I think number one and number two would be the edge to twenty twelve, but I think all of their nine would be an edge to twenty eighteen. That's a good way of looking at it. I'm yeah. trying to do that in my head right now. Go ahead. I mean, talk well, I mean, I, I, I'll <laughs> talk while you think. You talk while um, I think, yeah. You know, I have a hard time saying better than like 88 and 89, I, and again, the game was oh, I vastly different. I wasn't including that. I was going to the end of the Holtz era. I think that's what makes it fair. Oh, is that what it was I said? I think so, going back to the Holtz era. But it's, yeah, going I mean, back to, I think that meant including the Holtz era. The 88 team faced Miami and was yeah. able to overcome them. Miami's offense compared to the best offense Notre Dame has faced this year so far I don't want to start right, talking. And, we, and, your, and your NFL draft was stuffed with Notre Dame players yes, coming out of yeah. the 88-89. Uh, I just stopped at the end know, of the era. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, I mean, look, yeah, certainly. Yeah, well, you met, you referenced 2002, and I, I love that defense, but you're right. I mean, they didn't go they didn't, that didn't go deep. Not deep enough. Well, the, they didn't go deep enough with the back seven. They had to protect. I mean, yeah. they, they started a running back, a freshman running back at corner the whole year. Mm-hmm. They started a converted wide receiver at the other corner. Now he's... Fringe NFL player. He became pretty good. They started a backup scout team wide receiver from the year before at safety. <laughs> learning that, to play the that position. Was pl- that was player development, man. Yeah, that's some coaching right there. Yeah. And then, of course, they had a great front. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think people forget that Sheldon Day and Kona Schwenke and Tony Springman were pretty good backups for that team, too. I, I, the 2012 team should not be cast aside. It's just our last memory of them is terrible. It hurts mm-hmm. when your last no, memory it was on the a, grand it was, stage. That was terrible. a great defense. Yeah. I mean, the one game doesn't eliminate the other 12. So this team has to play at its best. You have to end the Clemson game and think, man, that Notre Dame defense is legit for them to have a chance to win. That's the best way of saying it, right? At Dan Holland, and the ND in Holland is capitalized ND, is Notre Dame a year early, which I think is... Kind of is an interesting. I mean, is, is it is the question? Are they like they'll be better next year, or Alabama will be worse? Like, what's? I think it's strictly a question about uh, Notre, Notre Dame, Dame. I would assume. No, I mean, I think this is a team that had to hit now. Um, I think a year early undersells Tillery, Coney, and Tranquil. That's those three. Yeah, names those are the three that you, first thing yeah. in my mind was Tillery, Coney, yeah. and Tranquil. I, I mean, I think Notre Dame will will take a step back next year. So. The notion that they're year early doesn't doesn't really compute for me because that's the middle of everything that's happening. Literally, <laughs> Tillery, Coney, and Tranquil. If you don't have a <laughs> well, strong spine, it's hard to have a you're, good defense. You're going to take a step back unless you go to Michigan and win, and go to Georgia and win, and go to Stanford and win because they're twelve and <laughs> oh, zero. So I, I mean, say yes. Yeah. Well, then yeah, then they didn't take a step back if they do that. <laughs> if they do that, well, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I I guess I understand where the question's coming from, but for me, it's the same thing. The Tillery. 
it's Hillary Coney tranquil thing. I mean, you can say, well, they just, you know, them and, you know, Mustafer. I mean, those are the three that stand out in particular to me. Like, could um, the offense be better next year? Yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. It, but it will have to be. This is a book yeah. question. Yeah. And that's fair. Um, but Tillery, Coney, and Tranquil all could have gone pro last year, not been drafted very high, and Notre Dame would not be playing on December 29th. No. They'd be talking about There's them, absolutely you know. no way. And the coaches would not be talking about how awful bowl practices are when they're not for the playoffs. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it's, it's just, I mean, those guys are too good. We cannot undersell yeah. what those guys have yeah. done. SR5452, if Kareem and Aquara come back, what do you think of moving Dalen Hayes to linebacker? Would you guys like the idea of Bilal and Hayes as inside linebackers? No. You yeah, need, you need I, multiple defensive yeah, ends. No, no. I, I, and I, I just don't think it would work for Dalen Hayes either. Well, I mean, you're in the midst of a uh, – Nording's recruiting pretty well a linebacker. <laughs> you so know, I mean, one of those guys or yeah, two or three some, are going to I mean, I, I, Bilal inside, yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. but – Dalen Hayes, absolutely not. I mean, is in his last year of eligibility, you're going to make him play a. I mean, that's a completely different position. He'll play. He'll play plenty of snaps. He'll play more snaps next year, even with those guys back. It's he's not. A, he's a starter in the nickel. He'll play plenty of yeah. snaps, and he. Now you need you need him. He's a guy that's learned. That's kind well, of rounding into shape at that position. Well, and getting back to my story <laughs> with Elston, he said he's the guy that pushes everybody into the other guys to make yeah. sacks. He's had a, he had a bad October. He had a really good September and a good November. A really good November and a good September. Yeah. Um, uh, Elston said the last five or six games. So basically, yeah. saying the second half of the season, he's become a, a, a really good player. Uh, and one last point. Moving from Rover to to Buck is not the same as moving from weak side slash drop end to to Buck or Mike. That's a that's well, one's a good idea, and the other one is not. They, it's just they, not. They cross train Bilal yeah. last year. But I think it comes to I, I think it comes to two things. One, you need multiple pass rushing defense events. Two, if yeah. you can't find a damn linebacker on your roster next year, then I mean, they may have. Uh, 12, they'll have between 12 and 14 scholarship linebackers next year. And Bilal is ready That's to move ridiculous. to Buck. Absolutely. I mean, they should they'll be. find one. Should be. They moved him there in the spring when they weren't sure about what was with Coney's situation. Yeah. Bilal, yeah. we saw Coney playing there. I mean, Bilal playing there. Now, yeah. you know, is Bauer ready to play the mic? Probably not, at least from our perspective anyway in this room. They might be uh, rotating again at one you know, position. A little bit of rotation. You know? Yeah, they may have they may have to do that, but I think we're all obviously we're all in agreement. That's you not know. the most important thing between now and December twenty no. <laughs> At WG, no, at WG. That's why I asked these questions first, and then we <laughs> yeah. kind of transition into Clemson. And you didn't ask it on December twenty seventh. No, <laughs> no, and we won't be answering those questions on December twenty seventh. Uh, at WG Pennington, Kurt Heinisch is rarely mentioned when discussing Notre Dame's defensive line. <laughs> Talk about his contributions this year and his ceiling moving forward. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we talk about him on this podcast. We do. We, we do. do. Quite a bit. I, yeah, maybe maybe other people. I don't. think he is probably one of the most improved players on the team. Um, that, and I, I guess like if you talked about all the players we talk about as improved, he gets the least amount of mention, which isn't to say that he gets no mention. Played 328 snaps by my count this year, which is. And I thought he was really productive, especially in the second half of the season. Yeah, it really got better. I, I thought he—that's the key—is he just started making plays in the second half of the season. He he yeah, pushes I the thought, pocket. He gets he nice. I thought in he, there. I thought his penetration started right from the mm-hmm. beginning of the year, and we've talked about this before. Last year, I thought he started making plays in the second half of the year, whereas he he was just holding a point of attack, which is understandable. On. So, how high is his ceiling? I mean, he's a nose. He, you know, 
I mean, he doesn't have a huge frame, so that is that's going to put a limitation on just really how good he can be. I think his ceiling depends on who his backup is the next two years. How good his backup that's is good to point. keep him fresh and keep him a rotation in there for the two of them. A healthy J-Man Franklin, yeah, somebody that could make a huge difference. Because you don't want Heinish all of a sudden playing Tillery snaps. No, no I mean, so you have I to think have you a, want him playing about Bonner snaps. You know, Bonner, I had Bonner at 386 snaps and Heinrich at 328. So yeah. you need two guys for one position. Yeah. His, his so about another half dozen per game. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think he's, you know, I, I we've said this before. I mean, for a nose tackle, he has shows shown some three technique characteristics with his penetration this year. But he's, you know, he's 6'1 to 6'2. He's not 6'4. So that kind of puts a little bit of a ceiling on him. At ND underscore Phil, do you think Nick Coleman will shine through the upcoming game? They need him. They need him real badly. Um, It's been interesting. The fact that Notre Dame is ranked third currently in pass efficiency defense, and they their nickel position is like has been in flux from start to finish, is pretty amazing to me because you would just think. I mean, somebody was asking me like, if you were Clemson, how would you attack Notre Dame? And I would spread them out and throw it all over the place. Mm -hmm. Which makes no sense against the the nation's third best pass efficiency defense, but that's I think that's just sort of where they are with the nickel and the dime positions at the back because at the front they are really really good. So right, and that and it's I was going to say that's that stat is pass rush driven. Yes, yeah. I mean I think that's lost that's lost on a lot of people. Like if you have a good pass efficiency defense, no. well, yeah. it's like, uh, that's the secondary is good, but yeah. it's because the quarterbacks are like, oh my god. <laughs> I asked Chip Long about uh, Clemson's secondary. Yeah. I said, obviously, it's the defensive front that, that can make them great, but it's separate from that. What makes him? He's like, he even heard it. He's like, well, it's the defensive front, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. It's well, just... it goes back to there's never there's never been a quarterback in the history of the game that has thrown the ball well with a with a defender in his face. That's Justin Tuck. Can. Yeah. Ask Tom Brady and Justin Tuck what it it, happens with pressure when you play it just a better cannot, team. It can't happen. It just can't yeah, happen. But Nick Coleman and Pete, that's why I said on our last podcast, when you said you'd spread it out and throw it all over the place, that's not just because it's really hard to cover. It's because you have to tackle one-on-one after that. And Notre Dame's back seven is going to have to have the tackling day of the year. They're, they're going to have to end the, like, like they did against Syracuse. That's an interesting guess, point uh, and a good one because I, I don't – I feel like they've tackled pretty well, but I don't think they've tackled against – Right. These types of athletes. Yeah, that's like, true. You I know USC was obviously very good, but like a lot of the Tyler Vaughn's catches were like a lot of out of bounds type stuff. You know, you're just with the sideline. You're right. like the leap again zone. You know, the Amon Ra, St. Brown type stuff. I don't. He's a really good player, um, but I th- I think Clemson has like that level of shiftiness at, of like three or four. Well, players. that'll be an interesting matchup. I have confidence in the back seven as tacklers. I, I think that there's some there. You know, yeah. said a million times some issues up front with tackling. But the question was, do you think Nick Coleman will shine? Oh, yeah. And I can't, I can't say that I necessarily you, think that that's going to happen in this game. If you give me a fourth quarter USC, Nick Coleman, yeah. I mean, that yeah. was I thought he was outstanding and played with a ton of confidence. But you need fourth quarter Nick Coleman at USC for yeah. all four quarters against Clemson. At Elliott Pope, it's clear that the Irish respect the Clemson running game when hearing from the players and coaches. Do we have a sense of what Clemson – is thinking about the Irish. Um, I, I, I guess to say that Clemson sees Notre Dame as a speed bump on the way to Alabama might be a little bit much, but I don't think it's that far off. I, I think that Notre Dame is very easy to overlook for Clemson. I think Clemson believes if they play their game, they'll just put them under to use. And, and if not, then 
they have, you know, if, if you don't play your game, you know you're in trouble against Notre Dame. I mean, Dabo Sweeney knows that. There's no... Dabo Sweeney, if people want to look from 24-7, um, last Friday, I think, he kind of, they kind of had their first big, yeah, big practice. Yeah, you saw that. I didn't see that. They had their first big practice, and he went down the roster of what, what Notre Dame, just like Brian Kelly did, what Notre sure. Dame brings. Uh, he, interestingly enough, he did lead with Chris Fink. He said they play three receivers and Chris Frank. I forget if he said he's a slippery little devil or something funny like that. It was a funny line and it was accurate. Um, but it was he, he said they play three receivers. They don't go. It is those three receivers. He's right. He's like they're not. When Michael Young checks in, they might not recognize the number. Yeah, they literally are looking true. at these three guys. And that, they, I think they respect those guys. That goes to the the matchup issues that we've talked about. That I think you know, and Notre Dame has similar, very similar with Renfro on the, the yeah. flip side of that. I, you know. I mean, I think human nature says that Clemson. I mean, you, you just think about the seniors at Clemson. You think they're really concerned about Notre Dame? I mean, I, I get I mean, that they blew out Ohio State thirty-one right, nothing. Right, right. So ago I mean, it's not. I'm not. You know, Notre Dame fans are. They'll they'll take offense to that. Yeah, they're, they're looking at Notre Dame. They're overlooking Notre Dame. But I mean, it's human nature. They've been through it. This is their sixth playoff game. Why should they come into this game with a degree of fear for Notre Dame? I, I, I'm not saying Notre Dame's not capable. No, I'm nor saying the, that they're right a, to be that way. Yeah, you know, I mean, that that's yeah. You look at you start breaking down Clemson's defense, and you're trying to find weak spots and stuff, and you're like, let's see that. You know, Kendall Joseph just seems like a good linebacker, and he's all ACC third team or whatever. Then you look, and he started against Alabama twice, and it's like, yeah. what? I mean, these but guys. I think, but all... I think Nordin feels like he is exploitable. Sure, I totally agree. Well, that's why I brought up Kendall Joseph. I started yes. researching, him like, well, he was named defensive player of the game against Alabama, so maybe he can be okay at times, right? <laughs> <laughs> they must have run. They must have. The, the other guys must have run the ball yeah. carriers toward him. In, in the loss. I'm sorry, not in, oh, not, in, the not in the win, okay. not in the win. Yeah, but I'm just saying. Well, like, it was a close loss. Guys, so. can, guys can, you know. Yeah, I, you know, too. I mean, Clemson again, just human nature. Why? It's Notre Dame. It's not, you know, I mean, I, I get it. DOC Irish, I saw Pete's tweet about Notre Dame's third-ranked passive agency defense that faced 37 pass attempts per game this season. How many QBs did Notre Dame face that were likely NFL prospects? He says, it seems like there were quite a few. Will Trevor Lawrence be the best they faced, or his effectiveness just enhanced by the other players on Clemson's offense? I mean, I think he is the best that they will face. And I, I, I believe that. there are a bunch of coaches talked about that. I can't remember which one in particular. Um, said, like, look, this is the best. Oh, it was a player. I think it was uh, maybe Drew Tranquil um, said that, like, this is the best quarterback we faced all year. It's, uh, but who else? It's Kyle Schirmer. It's the Kyle Schirmer was good. JT Daniels will be good. Yes. Um, and Kyle Schirmer yeah, was dropping yeah. dimes. He I was, mean, there were, there were some good quarterbacks. I mean, Shea Patterson. Clayton Thorson, KJ Costello, Francois, Ryan Willis, none of those are better than, no. than I mean, Trevor Lawrence. Good, yeah, I mean, those are good, yeah, those are good. Oh, there's nothing good wrong with those players, but yeah. it's not murderers. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is the number one ranked prospect for a quarterback per pro football focus in the country. Now. Now. <laughs> uh, Ian Book, by the way, is number 11, and that includes every single quarterback, freshman through senior, so obviously Trevor Lawrence can't go pro. Trevor Lawrence, if when once you put on a film and watch it, not just for enjoyment, and you look at some of the throws he makes, sometimes they're not caught. Sometimes they are. You're just like, well, how did the ball drop in there like that? He has beautiful touch and a remarkable arm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for Doc Irish's point, I would I would flip the last sentence. I think that Clemson's other offensive talent is enhanced by Trevor Lawrence, you, not the other way around. That's why they made the change. Yeah, part of the reason they made, well, yeah. in Alabama. But I mean, I think I think it's a little give and take there. Sure. But I, I I hear where you're coming from there. Um, I don't. I, I wanted to say this. I think we can. 
you know, we, we for a long time we've been saying or throughout the season with Ian Book, it's like, Andy has two more years of eligibility. He's going to be here next year. He won't be here in 2020. Yeah, I haven't. Once he became, once we got past about mid-November, right. it's right. been, I know he's just playing so, senior year. And I'm sure if we know that, yeah. Phil Dracovic knows that, and he, and He's preserving year of eligibility, so that's good. I had a sarcastic answer to this, and, and I, but I meant it to be serious. Somebody asked me, why would Ian Book not be? Because I said Notre Dame never has a good fifth-year quarterback. Ron pa- Since Joe Montana, it's been Ron Paulus. And you could have moved on then to Darius Jackson. And they said, well, why would Ian Book not be that? To go pro. Why would Ian Book come back for a fifth year? Yeah. The only way he comes Try- back for a fifth year is... I'll say it out loud. Injury early. Well, the like reason Ron Paulus came back for a fifth year, right. he broke his arm in November. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's what happens. Exactly. Uh, at Way to Go K Man, if you could put one player from any previous Notre Dame team on this current team, who would you pick? <laughs> Does Ross Browner count for the, the older Ross players? Browner yeah. would, <laughs> Just, Ross Browner would be my first choice um, every year, no matter what. <laughs> but I would, but I would have to choose an offensive player. I think in this game, I just I, no, I'm I'm doubling down on Notre Dame has to be better somewhere than Clemson, and defensive line is the okay. chance. I'm All right, throwing well, out Ross do, Browner. <laughs> and if, if so, we, so Dalen Hayes wouldn't get many snaps. Yeah, I think it's going to be okay that they don't play Kurt Heinrich as much for Ross Browner in this situation. And well, they just shift someone inside. Ross Browner could do whatever. Well, he wants. Ross Browner There's ended stuff. up becoming a defensive tackle on the next level. So he, and if not, Bryant Young and Chris Zorich. I am doubling, I'm tripling down. There's one place they can win. Well, okay, I, uh, so he's not my pick because I pick an offensive player. Pete, who do you have? I, I I hesitate to like go with recency just because I think that's too easy, but I do think Quentin Nelson is the, I agree. the, the pick. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah. it's Clemson's greatest strength. Yeah, that's true. The Wilkins-Lawrence combination in the middle, and it's a real concern for Notre Dame. So if you, I mean, if you put Quentin Nelson on Notre Dame's offensive line, bumped Aaron Banks over to right guard, I would look at that and be like, I think Notre Dame can win that matchup. Not not just hold their own. I think Notre Dame could beat Clemson's defensive line if you gave me Quentin Nelson to go with Mustafer. Uh, I was speculating about Nelson and McGlinchey. You're just saying uh, yeah. with Nelson. I don't I, necessarily disagree with you on that. I would need two to think they would beat Clemson's. I need two of them. Okay. Uh, Quentin Nelson and uh, and, McGlinchey. and McGlinchey or something like that. Or I'd probably go with, you know. Stanley, Zach Martin, I was, Martin. I'm thinking about the 28-year-old Zach Martin playing yeah. as he is now as opposed yeah. to a college kid. Just put him out there. It would be good. Although Zach Martin just missed his first game. Ever yeah, since high school, yeah. college, and pro. Uh, Would you yesterday. want Jalen Smith out there too instead of uh, Asmar Bilal? Maybe help out. <laughs> I mean, it'd be fine. <laughs> I wouldn't say no. <laughs> Let's just make a team to beat Clemson, yeah. Alabama, right yeah. here. It's, it's we can do it. At very piratey, can Ian Book start connecting on deep balls against Clemson? Chip Long has done a fabulous job of scheming open receivers down the field, and more often than not, Book has missed on those throws. Is that the X factor to beating beating Clemson in their iffy safeties? I know he can't miss that throw this this game. It's too important to miss that throw. It's in not this only game. him, but people. I, I forgot about this watching the game live years ago when the the game Notre Dame lost the Brady Quinn game to Ohio State. Opening, it was a first or second oh. play of the game. He missed a Jeff Samarja post route eighty yard touchdown to yes, start the game, did. and you just think to yourself. Those cannot be missed. Does it remind you of the other teams Saint a little Bra- Saint Brown against Miami last year? Except with a chance to win. Except, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm never. I mean, I, I can't go yeah. that way of thinking. I don't yeah. get it. That's, you were there. Yeah, you were there. Yeah. You would know. I think that book has been probably better than very piratey thinks on deep balls. Like it's not like he's been great. Good name, very piratey. Though, yeah. No matter what. But the the fink miss at USC, the fink miss at Virginia Tech, um, those those will be critical. 
Um, I don't want to. I'm. I'm not going to go as far to say Notre Dame can't win without him hitting it. But I mean, if one's open and they miss it, it just crushes a drop. You know what I mean? Like that's seven points. It's going to be a lot more depressing uh, for the sideline if they miss that against. Oh, there's no doubt. Yeah, Yeah, because you know that your margin for error is so significantly different than anybody that you've played this year. But I, I think that there there will be multiple opportunities for that. Clemson is not good against stopping huge catastrophic plays. I think they've allowed. Six sixty-yard plays yeah, or four sixty-yard pass it. plays. I mean, it, it's it's a really like Van Gordery number. Their safeties. It's like pirate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Their safeties take really bad angles to the ball sometimes, especially Muse. Muse Muse is ultra aggressive and he's got great size and he's flying around. He's throwing his body around, but man, they take some shallow angles to the football. And yes, it. Notre Dame has to, Ian Book has to take advantage of that if that happens in this game. Isaiah Simmons had some bad, he's a great looking athlete, man, but Holy he has God. some things you can, he he takes, he has weird mistakes too. Okay, well he he kind of, I mean he's, yeah, no he does you know I mean? because like he, can play, he, can play outside, he can play outside linebacker or he can be a, a, nickel. a nickel. Yeah, he He's is their a, leading tackler he's for a, people He's a freak, yeah, he's a freakish ac- uh, uh, athlete, but he also can miss tackles yes. too. They're, they're so... There's a lot of talent and size, and so therefore they're confident and aggressive. They play for Clemson, and so they're flying to the ball. But sometimes, you know, uh, technique uh, is a little bit lacking. This is going in a future preview, too, but when Pete mentioned those catastrophic plays, you remember the Syracuse game? This is the last time we'll compare Clemson to Syracuse. When Alizé Mack was getting pushed out at the three, and guys weren't getting in, and then they didn't score as a result, whether it was because of penalties or, or yeah. just not... You got to finish. Oh yeah, long Jeez. plays for touchdowns against Clemson. You you don't want first and goal at the four is not necessarily a seven point situation for you. Whereas against every they're, other team you played this year, it is. There, that's something you know we. Ha- I don't think we've really talked about. They are really good in the red zone on both sides of the yeah, ball. It's uh, thirty one, only thirty one like, entries for opponents, which is depressing as well. Only thirty one entries, and it's fourteen touchdowns. Which is not a lot. They lead the nation in red zone touchdowns. touchdowns yeah. No, not percentage. Touch total, total touchdowns, touchdowns scored allowed. from the red zone. No, scored offensively. Right, but allowed them yes. too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What you don't want to allow. They're they're really good in the red zone. So to your point, absolutely. You get a long play, you better finish it because you may not get in the end zone. Dip ninety eight. What's more likely? <laughs> Notre Dame wins a close one or Notre Dame gets blown out? Good question, because he didn't give us the other four. Like the know. most likely would be what we would all probably think is that Notre Dame loses a regular game to Clemson is the most likely scenario when you're. Two, but the three, line, by the way, did you see they're now thirteen? Yeah, I, you know, watching Clemson six times, I would say these two things. I think I would take the points with Notre Dame, and the best compliment I can play to Clemson from watching them is I would also now whatever it is, let's say Clemson beats Notre Dame, I would take the points against Alabama. It's kind of your point, all year, Pete. Mm. I watched Clemson enough to think. I'm not going to go think Alabama's going to crush this defense. You know, they just you're too good up front to get crushed. It's like they're not going to get out athleted. You have Chip Long's going to have to be on his game. I know we're on a now, tangent. Let's hear, here, I mean, you need, yeah, <laughs> you need to you need to isolate those safeties and yeah, make them pay two or three times. Right. Which is which is difficult because of what's up front. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I mean, I don't we all feel the most likely thing is that Clemson just wins a regular I, football game, right? I, I do. I do. I think it's a lot of points. And if I were a betting man, I would I would take the points. But I'm all Tim, you and I especially are always concerned. We always have our eye on the line closely. When a line moves like that, 
either a major injury has occurred, which we're not aware of, or some big-time bettors are putting a whole bunch of money down on Clemson and getting that line at 11, yeah. which forces it up to 13, 13 and a half. I, w- I guess I would be shocked if it was a Miami-Alabama type of game. I hope so. Is that sort of what... Yeah, I don't see them is there. That, does that qualify as... Blo- I, I guess... If, if Clemson wins 31-17, that's not a blowout. Blow. Okay. No. If they're in control of the game, like for 55, yeah. the final 55 minutes How about or 50 this? minutes. How about the Fiesta Bowl? That's a, that's a the blow. The 2015 Yeah, Fiesta that Bowl? would be unfortunate, right? 28-7, and, you, and they just keep getting these long runs up the middle. Yeah, of your were they blown out against Ohio State? Not really. <laughs> but they kind but of. But were they They were, like, never were, gonna were win. They a threat to win? Not really. I'd like to see Notre Dame be a threat to win entering the fourth quarter of this game. Yeah, and one, we can one, all, and we can score, all, and we can live with that then. Or ten, I'm not one score game when the fourth quarter starts. Even yeah, even similar, like down ten with the ball or something like that. You know where you're like, all right, they they can they can do this type thing. I, I I can't imagine Miami or Alabama showing up again. Like that was just no, that's not that's not going to happen. That that's not going to happen. Can I say that definitively? I can. You, you I can. Did. Sure, you can. <laughs> Why not? It's our podcast. <laughs> I wouldn't think so. I mean. I would, I guess, really the question, the question to me is like, is Notre Dame going to be in a good space mentally or bad space mentally? And I, I would put a lot of money on a good space yeah. mentally. I would put a lot of money on a very good to excellent space, which mentally. means they could still lose by two touchdowns. But I, I just don't think they're going to be, um, they're not going to be authors <laughs> of their own demise uh, in a way that they were against Miami and Alabama. So I think the answer actually would probably be if blowout the way we define it is Notre Dame wins a close one. Uh, I would definitely vote yeah, in. More, yeah, more likely, would, no yes. If if asked to place money on it, that's the direction that I would go. We are going to have another podcast on Thursday, and then we will, because Christmas intervenes, we will go a full week <gasps> before we have another podcast, uh, and that will be at the the bull site. We are toying with, yeah, we're toying with having when when we get to Dallas, we're toying with having. Um, a podcast two days before the game and the day before the game. Kind of review pre- with, review of the week and preview of the week the, type yeah, thing. Yeah, with the potential for maybe a guest on one of those mm-hmm. to talk a little bit more about Clemson with greater knowledge than, than we have. And so, we might be at a live remote situation for one of those. We could, we could be. I, I don't want to promise that because it yeah. depends upon just what our setting is, but we may have a live remote um, situation, which a, a, a very kind... Uh, subscriber, I believe subscriber, or at least a podcast listener. And if you're a podcast listener and you're not a subscriber, <laughs> what better gift to give for Christmas than, okay, there's my one time. I haven't done that in, in weeks. So uh, anyway, so Thursday, we'll skip until after Christmas Thursday again, and hopefully Thursday, Friday at the Dallas Bowl. So until then, Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. This has been Irish Illustrated Insider. Thanks for joining us. Irish Illustrated Insider is brought to you by... Anderson, Augustino, and Keller, Attorneys at Law, with offices in South Bend, Indiana, serving the local community's legal needs with a diverse and innovative group of lawyers. Let their team be your edge on legal matters. Contact the lawyers at Anderson, Augustino, and Keller at 574-288-1510 or visit their webpage at aaklaw.com.